0: My name is Fraser. My name's Louis. And like I said, we're B-Positive. Today's film, I'm
1: really excited about this one. I've got a lot to say about this one. We're doing
0: Mario Bava's... Lisa uh, and the Devil. Exactly. A Um, very, very surprisingly good film.
1: Yeah, said by many to be Mario Bava's masterpiece. Also, he himself believed it to be his masterpiece. Even though for its wider release in America, they cut it with some new scenes to make it a,
0: an, an exorcist, exorcist club off yeah yeah i feel it takes a away a lot of the film's uh, value when you do that because on its own lisa and the devil is very good cinema but let's just first clarify what a b movie is because a lot of people think that because of a films b rating that that means that it's a bad film which is
1: not the case
0: yeah that's not the case it's just low budget, right? Doesn't have a. Yeah, I think it's just list. anything
1: that's not sort of very widely released or made by a smaller studio. Okay, so I'm gonna try and run the plot down for you, but we have to keep in mind that this is an Italian Giallo film, which is a, a genre of Italian thriller or horror that is characterized by sort of dreamlike plots yeah by not really being focused so much on story but rather on the effect of it the horrifying or suspenseful effect is really the most important thing here so the plot not really that important but so we follow a a tourist called lisa reiner who kind of wanders away from her tour group in spain and she comes across this fresco that depicts the devil carrying off the dead and she's sort of drawn to this fresco, fascinated by it but repelled at the same time. Yeah. She then wanders into a little shop and she sees a man who looks exactly like uh, the devil in the fresco carrying a mannequin. She wants to buy a carousel but it it belongs to the, the man with the mannequin.
0: Who looks like the devil.
1: Who looks like the devil. She's then confronted by a man in the street who looks like the mannequin. Oh, yes. Come to life. She's shocked by it. She pushes him down some stairs. She runs
0: away. Uh, she gets completely lost. Yeah, but the film also portrays it as though she, at that point she'd stumbled into a dream because it's sort of like the streets change around her.
1: Yeah, the streets are like totally deserted. Um young. It's shot with this really claustrophobic, towering feeling. Mm. These buildings are sort of closing in around her. Yeah. She's then picked up by a couple, and they drive along with their chauffeur, and they come to this mansion, this kind of gothic manse, where they take refuge. And it's inside this house that the nightmare quality of this film really comes to the forefront. And it's here where the plot takes a back seat, and we
0: start living this horrifying nightmare it reminded me a lot about the concept in the realm of uh, lovecraftian horror of the dreamlands. yeah being this um other reality which is very much affected by you know dreams and it's got this dream-like quality to it and this uncanny nature it felt to me it could easily be a work of lovecraftian mythos
1: yeah i mean um It definitely shares some similarities there. I think especially its focus on the psychological, which is why most of my ideas around this film are going to be kind of Freudian in nature, kind of psychoanalytic. Okay. Because I feel the film, especially because it is so surreal and so dreamlike, really lends itself to to a Freudian
0: reading. Yeah, a bit of dream interpretation. Yeah. I actually picked up on the Freudian nature of the film as well. There were a few key shots that I feel alluded to the fact that a lot of the concepts in the film are Freudian.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get into all of that.
0: So in the intro sequence of the film, you see the actors portrayed as playing cards. And they're coming up one by one, each one a different card. Uh, right from the beginning, I found that to be a hint as to the nature of what's going to happen in the film. A little bit of foreshadowing. They are going to be used as pawns to be, you know, playing, someone's playing a game with these people.
1: They're objectified in a sense.
0: Yes. And that also comes through strongly uh, with our uh, protagonist, Lisa Reiner, um, played by Alka Sommer. She does not have a lot of dialogue. She is very passive throughout the whole thing. And I feel that the reason she is like that, she's so almost blank, yeah. in a sense, is that she is just a placeholder for yourself. And that's where the true horror of the film comes in. All of this is really happening to the audience. Yeah. She's a everyman yeah type absolutely. of concept she also definitely
1: holds together a lot of sort of female archetypes that are projected onto her by each character and i I think it's interesting because lisa kind of when she arrives at the mansion or well actually from the moment when she kills the man at the step she kills a man oh yes of well course. she thinks she killed him and-
0: yes as she is um slipping into the dream world
1: yeah so when she crosses that boundary, she kind of comes from a contemporary seventies world, yes you know and and a world that has all the qualities of giallo that we know about like it's high fashion, it's about actresses and models and stuff. but then she crosses into this gothic fantasy world where even though you know maximilian the the young uh count of the house yes he he dresses contemporaneously he was wearing 70s clothes but his whole world and his whole outlook reminds of a much darker past like a 19th century gothic um, feeling and so in that sense Lisa is is our kind of ambassador into that world maybe this is a good time to talk
0: more about life in the mansion yeah so the setup of the mansion is that there is the Blind Countess, right? Mm-hmm. Now, she's quite a, in her advanced age, I, I guess. Yeah, I would say quite so. A, quite a bit older. Played by a younger ac- actress, though. And her son is a bit of a loner. He sort of yeah wanders around the, the grounds at night in the woods and stuff.
1: Yeah, bit of a, um, a mama's boy, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, he does seem... To have a little bit of an Oedipus complex. Yeah. And their butler, uh, who is essentially the devil, the, the, the titular devil. And this is also, this is the man we see in the shop in the beginning. Yeah. And also the man we see in the fresco before that. Yeah. So he's sort of, you get the feeling that he's the only one that wants to be there. He's,
1: he really is the only one who's okay with being there. Yeah. Who kind of accepts it. As the film continues, we discover that Maximilian had murdered his old girlfriend, Elena, because she had made his mother jealous. Which, I mean, there are some clear readings there where it's this conflict between his desire for his mother and his desire for Elena, where the only way to resolve it is to, to kill
0: Elena. He does end up killing his mother as well. He does, in the end, yeah. Um in a very Freudian scene, loaded with symbolism, he stabs her in the chest.
1: With a short dagger. <laughs> and so the, his mother kind of acts as, as the superego of the household, as the sort of the lawmaker, the word of the father, in a sense. Yes. And Max's more id-like desires are, are constantly in conflict with that.
0: Yeah, he's a classic case of having the life desire eros the desire for pleasure mm-hmm. in that he is pursuing lisa he's pining for uh, what was his eleanor eleanor he's pining for eleanor he's pursuing lisa but then you get his death desire is thanatos he kills the things that he desires because of this conflict between his mother telling him what to do and his desire telling him something else
1: and i think the death drive is especially fascinating in the
0: context of this movie Um, the death drive by the way is the name of my roller skate company (laughs) it's
1: quite interesting to understand how desire functions through the lens of the death drive this idea that we are constantly seeking fulfillment constantly seeking to fulfill our desires but you know say i want to have fun i go get drunk but then when I wake up, it's gone again, and I have to pursue this new desire. Or if you're working really hard, you can buy yourself a cool new phone, and then you go buy it, and then you have it, and it's kind of meh, and yeah. then you need like that next other thing, right? Because we never really reach the object of our desire. And the death drive is fascinating because it's that thing which seeks to fulfill and annul all desire by ceasing all tension.
0: Yes um, Seeks an end Exactly and Which I is think also probably why humans are natural storytellers Yeah Because we are driven to find the ending yeah. Of anything that I mean obviously that's why we solve mysteries That's why we That's why science exists Is because we're driven to find What's at the end of the tunnel
1: Yeah We want to complete our desire Yes And so I think Max is almost an embodiment of the death drive mm he kind of he seeks an end to himself but through his like repression and sublimation that comes out as ending all others
0: let's say this all represents a human mind right now you've got your superego as the the countess maximilian's your id and your ego which is the conscious part of personality according to freud would then be this calm facade even though you know, all this crazy stuff's happening in the mind. It doesn't come out as intense through the ego.
1: Yeah, I mean, the ego is kind of the compromise between the, the super ego and the id. And in that sense, yeah, I think the butler fulfills that role. He keeps order in the house, but he also enables and sanitizes Max's killing.
0: I wouldn't say that I'm a Freudian thinker, but I do love the psychosexual theory yeah, it's a great theory. It it's does. a lot of fun, even though Freud was a complete madman.
1: I'm. I would say I'm more of a Freudian than you. Oh well, Lacanian. Yeah. Rather than Freudian. I
0: don't think there are any pure Freudians left.
1: Yeah, I'm actually looking for an actual Freudian. psychoanalyst.
0: Oh really? To go to. Do they? Do they exist? They do
1: exist. They're just quite rare. I'd love to go through that just like kind of guided introspection.
0: So I find the camera work in this film to be sublime because you've got like scenes where you've got Lisa and the couple that takes her in and their driver in the car driving Mm -hmm. to the mansion. And the camera work is very anxious in a way. It's sort of going from face to face in this awkward silence and very stretched out scene. Yeah and it builds that awkward tension and that awkward anxiety feeling in the car
1: i feel like the cinematography yes is is a huge part of why this film works and how it keeps up the tension even during these seemingly banal points yeah. in the movie
0: the film is a very slow burner oh yeah but the tension is there throughout you're just living in that tension
1: This episode brought to you by Big Al's. Come on down to Big Al's. We got couches, we got carpets, we got tables, chairs, cups, coffee. Hey, this is just my house. Big Al's. It's just my house.
0: So let's talk about the first sort of major shift in reality that I picked up on. Yeah. While Lisa is sort of trying to escape the labyrinth after she meets the devil. Yeah. It's like, all daytime.
1: You say labyrinth, but really it's just the town.
0: Yeah, it's just the town, but this town be- yes, becomes a labyrinth this labyrinthian sort of oppressive space. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So at this time, while she's running, it's still daytime. I mean, there's a bit of tension, but it's still sort of, you're not, you're not sold on it yet. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, it's like from one one shot to the next, it's nighttime. And as soon as nighttime falls, the tone of the film really comes into its own. Mm-hmm. But not only is it the tonal shift uh, done by the switch and lighting, yeah. but it's the abruptness of it that sort of makes you feel like reality has skewed yeah and that's the first real indication that we get that something isn't right here the normal rules do not apply yeah the usual state of things has been suspended yes
1: which is quite interesting which i mean i guess quite neatly leads us into um a discussion of the uncanny in this film oh yeah because that itself is already like an uncanny moment
0: yes definitely A large part of what I felt maintained the uncanny texture of the form, really, Mm -hmm. was the use of the wax dolls. Yeah. Were they wax dolls or just I'm not sure what they're
1: made out of, which I guess is...
0: Also, yeah, that just plays into it. Like they're
1: molded. I don't know if they're plastic or... Yeah, they
0: seem to be plastic, but also very breakable and fragile...
1: Yeah. It's never really and explained. Soft.
0: They seem like they could be alive, but they do sort of dip into the uncanny valley. Yeah. They're very lifelike and realistic, but there's something off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean just if if there are some people who aren't really sure what the uncanny is, go look at those mannequins and you'll know. Yeah. It's it's when something that is homely uh, well, what Freud called Heimlich becomes strange, and becomes all of a sudden unfamiliar in some way.
0: We'll uh, we'll post some pictures of the of the puppets on our Facebook page, just so you can see. Yeah, what we're, we're talking about. Um, this, this film uses the use of imagery in this film is amazing.
1: Yeah, so that feeling of. Fear or that feeling of discomfort with the uncanny comes from this idea that it reveals something about what you thought you knew that terrifies you and that you can't understand.
0: It's finding the terrifying in the ordinary. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I think that's what this film does absolutely brilliantly.
0: Yeah, I mean, the film, if you're just watching it, the pacing and the rhythm of the film... It creates a sense that reality is slowly undulating. Yeah. It's compressing and decompressing and expanding. It is a very, very uncanny atmosphere.
1: Yeah, it's almost a surreal time. Yeah. It's just night. It's not any specific time
0: of night. Yeah, it's just the greater sense of night. The steady encroachment of darkness. It could be seen as a symbol of Death. Yeah, I think
1: another philosophical idea we can connect with this film is Nietzsche's idea of eternal recurrence, which we kind of see in True Detective. Yeah, when <laughs> Matt McCon says time is a flat circle. So the <laughs> idea that Nietzsche came up with is less an actual theory about how time or life works. It's more of a sort of a thought ex- experiment. So the idea is you are to ask yourself, if a demon were to come to me and say to me, you are going to live this life that you've just had over and over again exactly the same way, you can't ever make any other decisions, how would I react?
0: How would you react?
1: I actually don't know.
0: Well, I guess no one would know because the, no one's been in that situation. Yeah.
1: I I feel a little ambiguous about it.
0: Well, I mean, you can't really be too upset about it because there's no choice in the matter. It's just happening. Yeah, exactly. And that's
1: the point that Nietzsche is kind of making, is that in the lesser man's case, I would despair at this news. I would want to kill myself, but I couldn't because I'm just going to be doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. But if you can... Face that possibility and say, okay, and just be fine with it, then you are kind of in the realm of the ubermensch, in a sense. So that kind of idea of of repetition and of inevitability of certain things happening runs throughout this film pretty much the whole time through. Yeah. Especially with Leandro, the butler character, who seems to always know... What event is coming next and what part of, of the ritual is coming up next?
0: It's interesting how the film does seem to have a cyclical nature. Yeah. Also with the fact that Lisa looks exactly like Elena looked. And she also doesn't seem to have any sort of real backstory. She's yeah. this tourist, but not really.
1: It's pretty interesting that we don't learn anything about the protagonist
0: yeah but that brings me back to my theory that lisa is an allegory for everyone she's supposed to be a universal protagonist
1: yeah absolutely
0: like every man in the play every man
1: every man every man it's also quite interesting, as you were saying, with this doubling of Lisa and Elena. Every character in the film has an uncanny double in the with form of the either the puppet or the ghost at the end. Um, or in the case of Leandro the Fresco with the devil painting.
0: Yes, and the way it's portrayed for Le- the Lisa-Elena link is portrayed very well and to very visceral effect in the necrophilia Sort of attempted rape scene. I mean Because it's literally Eleanor's corpse next to Lisa okay, on so, the bed. So I, I wouldn't I would call this rape. Yes. But I wouldn't
1: call it necrophilia. I mean a lot of people call it necrophilia, uh, but it's it's not he's trying to rape her in front of the skeleton. Yes.
0: He's not actually doing anything to the corpse. I don't feel like you can have sex in a room with your dead ex-wife on the bed and it not being somehow involved in your motivations at the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's really Maximilian's central philosophical failure is that he is in this repetition, but every time he thinks that somehow it will be different, that somehow with Lisa he'll be able to resolve his issues with his mother and actually go through with having sex with Lisa. But in the end, of course, like with um, Eleanor, he he can't do it. He just can't do it. Yes. And then Eleanor starts laughing.
0: Yeah, Eleanor starts laughing at him, which is, I mean, it could be, if we go take it back to Freud, which we should, it could be really... An experience of his sexual failure yeah sort of the loss of his phallic um power yeah also in the scene he's sort of trying to it's like he's trying to resurrect elena through his actions with lisa on the yeah. bear i mean elena's there but he's saying to lisa now we can finally be together forever or something
1: it's also quite interesting that he starts laughing alone with eleanor yeah he seems to take an almost um masochistic pleasure in this act of emasculation
0: which just brings it back to him being driven by his death drive yeah because that is at its core a very masochistic concept
1: yeah it's, it's almost as if he's completely given over to his mother's law, but in a twisted, uncanny again
0: way. He's still rebelling against her law, but his rebellion is all inside of himself. Yeah. And it manifests as this tormented inner struggle. So what happens is that throughout the film, Maximilian is sort of our Jason Voorhees. He goes...
1: Or Norman Bates.
0: He's a mixture. I see a lot of, lot of. um, Well, I mean, yeah. Hitchcock, Psycho. I just meant our scary killer. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Because Jason Voorhees also, again, he is—he's an allegory for the audience's death desire. I think though that he's more of a more of a Freddy Krueger meets norman bates okay because he does operate in this dream world and there there are some elements to this that suggests that this is just going to happen again the same way yeah so he's gonna keep killing he is really a kind of scary guy but what happens is he kills almost everyone and he yeah, wait, who, do, who does he kill he kills he kills the first off he kills his mother's husband husband yeah, his stepfather. his stepfather.
1: So that's already also like a pretty clear Hamlet reference.
0: Yeah, and uh, very udible.
1: Like, what would have happened with Hamlet's madness if he hadn't died after he'd killed um, yeah. Claudius? Do you think weird.
0: this could be. Because the, the way I see this film, it's sort of a. The reason why it repeats this is their punishment. They're stuck in the cycle. Yeah. They're reliving their greatest sins. So, could this be Hamlet's hell?
1: maybe yeah that's a, that's a good alternate title so yes okay so he kills his stepfather he kills the couple the yeah. older gentleman and his wife
0: and the chauffeur yeah as well
1: he kills the chauffeur. wait no doesn't the mother kill the chauffeur
0: no he kills the chauffeur he's got that golden rod the mother tries to kill maximilian
1: with the scissors.
0: With the... No,
1: there's like, there's a, a scene with her walking down a hallway with a pair of bloody scissors.
0: That scene comes after she dies. She's dead and she's like floating. She's not walking. She's just uh, approaching.
1: I'm trapped in a nightmare.
0: Louis has gone off the deep end. <laughs> okay, so what happens um, is oh, that... and
1: he kills Lisa.
0: No. No, he doesn't. Lisa survives. Does she? No, well, i mean she doesn't survive but she wakes up the next morning and the manor is abandoned and yeah. she gets lost again started all over because she gets onto a plane and then she's and confronted then everyone
1: with on the plane is the dead people yeah
0: because the plane also is this sort of long empty space yeah you've got the empty seats there it's interesting how the film uses its editing to trick the audience because at that point you're like, okay, maybe she has escaped, but yeah, you never see her go to the airport. You never see her get a ticket and get on the plane, but you assume that because of editing, because yeah,
1: she wakes up naked in an abandoned manner. I don't know if she was going to find like her purse and her clothes and her passport.
0: She just sort of walks out of there and then she's in the plane. Yeah. When you're, while you're watching, if you're unprepared, it's going to be, it sort of catches you off guard because you made that logical leap. That's sort of what we've been trained to do through film. Yeah. Sometimes you make assumptions and the film carries on. This used that against the audience yeah. to, again, to just drop it right back into the uncanny yeah so maximilian is the way he ends up killing his mother is he attempts to rape lisa it doesn't Mm -hmm. work he flees the scene he runs downstairs he gets to the dining dining room and he's confronted by the spirits of all those he murdered
1: yeah which is maybe another shakespeare reference with, with macbeth Do you think Max feels guilt at that point?
0: Yes, that is his being confronted with what he's done and being horrified by his actions. His mother then attempts to kill him. He turns the tables, stabs her, and immediately runs up the stairs, which also, very Freudian, he ascends. Right. So he has this phallic failure. He stabs his mother. He fulfills his oedipal desire, I guess. Yeah. And then ascends the stairs, meaning that he has now regained sort of his, he's, his power.
1: He's moved past his edible complex in the most unhealthy way possible. Yes. Like, he's kind of... He's finally resolved this issue. But in the wrong way. Yeah.
0: Guys, we've been talking about Zolo Maxloft for a long time. And I have to tell you, I... I'm a Zolo customer. I'm very happy and so is my second head. Zolo maxloft change it up, potentially.
1: What did I say here? I, I wrote down, Max exhibits a bourgeois and edible desire to own, to possess others as objects. And Leandro makes this possible in its full uncanny scope.
0: Joke's on him. Leandro owns him. Yeah. Yeah, Leandro oh. is sort of the only person that seems to be able to leave yeah. this space because he does go into town. He runs and, errands, he does his yeah, thing. But these people, they will never leave. This is, this is their cage. So in the scene where the couple who pick up Lisa, mm-hmm. the wife is mourning the death of the chauffeur because they were lovers. And she was in a loveless relationship with her husband. The husband is then like, no, we're leaving. And tries to force her to leave with him. She knocks him down and runs him over several times (laughs) with the car.
1: And like graphically. Yeah. um, He is
0: mangled. I I would say it's the most graphic kill in the whole film. The rest rest is sort of... It doesn't play that way. The rest of the film doesn't really... Go there. Yeah. It's all implied. The death is implied. Yeah. You get a shot of just the murder weapon swinging down a thud and then blood. Yeah. But with this kill, you see it all.
1: That, that's a wonderful little moment in the mm. film, actually. It's one where you go, ah, oh, oh, good.
0: Yeah. Something Something decent sort of is happening yeah. in this awkward, in this terrifying world. hell. But that whole act, it's a very good example of a crime of passion. Because a crime of passion is often um, related to a bit of overkill. Yeah. Because she feels this man has become this massive monster in her mind. And for her, it seems like it would take much to kill him. So the way she goes about killing him, is it takes a while and it's very violent
1: yeah absolutely i
0: have to say that acting in this form is amazing
1: yeah i've got to agree with you uh terry no telly savalos who plays leandro is really good
0: he makes a good devil
1: he has this sort of he has this flat deadpan affect but with that malice and that intelligence just kind of lying directly
0: beneath the surface he seems very cat-like yeah. He's sort of toying with his prey. Yeah, he, saw, he's kind of, he looks kind of bored while he's doing it, but he's obviously having... Yeah. He finds the whole situation amusing. That lends to the uncanny nature of the film, mm. again, because what's happening is pretty rough, and he's just sort of he's, the puppet master. He's largely unaffected
1: fun. by everything. It, it's almost as if he...
0: Exists like, outside of it.
1: Yeah, he already knows what's going to happen. So, there's some slight satisfaction in seeing it happen, but it's not a surprise to him at all.
0: Yeah. So, the scene with... I keep coming back to it, but the scene with the reported necrophilia, mm-hmm. right? Well, the reason why I see it as necrophilia is because that killers like Jeffrey Dahmer, who he was a necrophiliac as well. Yeah. Killers like that, they they don't just go straight into necrophilia. There's there's an escalation period. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, it begins by drugging a victim to have them lay inert. Right. right, To be a living corpse. To pretend, yeah. Yeah. And that's how it begins. And you see that with Maximilian because he chloroforms Lisa before attempting the rape. It's a classic, classic depiction of the early stages of necrophilia because the association of the corpse is there, but he has now made himself... A living corpse to ease himself into it
1: yeah just to dip his toes in the
0: yeah necrophilia pool
1: but to me though this is not a sentence i thought i would ever say but i think rape is worse than necrophilia
0: yeah it is
1: so i think you should have rather just gone for eleanor
0: yeah i mean it would have hurt less people i think a lot less people would have died it's very, very strange. You know what?
1: Actually, if he had just moved out of his mother's house and uh, gotten a job somewhere... And or
0: just taken some of his, you know, aristocracy money and just...
1: He could probably use that. Became a loafer um, in the city or something.
0: Smoke yeah, opium, I've, man. Yeah. Get a hobby.
1: Jeez. Ah, uh, what could have been. <laughs> and just moved out of his mother's house.
0: Yeah, he could have become a Dorian Dorian Gray-like character. Also not great. Yeah, I mean but a bit more fun than Yeah. Than being stuck in a murder loop.
1: He's not a super fun character either. He's very neurotic. Yes, he he actually incredibly intense.
0: He reminds me very much of the serial killer Richard Ramirez. Yeah. If you see the the way he acted in court once he was once he had been caught. But also just his look. He looks like Maximilian. Really? They've got a similar sort of look. And their mannerisms are very similar as well.
1: So that brings us to the end of this episode of Be Positive.
0: Be Positive. I had a lot of fun on this one. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And I'm glad we both liked it again. We're back on back on the same page.
1: Yeah, that's great. I'm, I was getting a little worried.
0: Yeah, but I mean, Never Cry Werewolf wasn't as rich or as yeah. textured. Yeah, but it was also... I mean, that's because it was a very postmodern thing. It fundamentally would never have been rich or textured. Yeah. Where this film is very Freudian, very symbolic. It's got a lot to talk about in it.
1: Yeah, probably much more than we already did, but we've been talking about it for a while now, so... I just
0: want to say that, uh, in closing, that, you know, the devil... Um, Leandro the butler it's like Lisa doesn't exist outside of his little pocket dimension of torment yeah so it's like he created her to fulfill Eleanor's role to complete the cycle of torment she's kind of herself uh,
1: one of the puppets
0: yes I mean it just goes to show that the devil truly works in mysterious ways
1: (laughs) yeah I just like to say that I mean if you watch any of the movies we've covered so far, definitely watch this one. Yeah. Also definitely go back, go watch Bubba Hotep, that's also a good one. Yeah. But al- but please, definitely watch Lisa and the Devil and you'll uh you'll be able to pick up
0: on much more than we did. This is one film where I can't see Mo Punches. Um, no, I don't think he'd have worked in this one. Yeah. Sorry
1: Mo. But anyway, please go watch this movie. Tell us what you think. Tell us what fascinating theories you you pick up in it. And and I guess learn from this film to be careful of your desire.
0: Yeah. Try not to run into the devil, I guess.
1: I mean I guess that's that's the a lesson. practical
0: step you can take. Yeah. Uh don't explain. Like don't work on yourself. No, no no no. Not
1: like confront your inner demons. No, no, no. Just try and avoid the devil. I feel like that's not what the film is. I know. I'm just gonna take
0: it though. Yeah, I mean it's still advice. Take it or leave it. Yeah, so we are now on both iTunes and Stitcher. So yeah, so if you're uh, in the Android crowd, yeah, check us out. Um, we don't really, we can't get uploaded on Google Play Music. Yeah, no, because
1: that's it's not, not available in South Africa. Yeah, so we're um, sort of
0: we're limited in that regard, but. Check us out. Remember to um, subscribe and to rate us. Please give a rating and a bit of a review, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, us what you think. rate us five stars, nothing less. Just like fawn a little bit. You don't have to be honest, <laughs> but just be really nice.
0: Okay. Uh, be positive. Just be positive, guys. Yeah, guys, come on. That's, how, that's the way it works. And um, we'll check you on the Facebook page. Uh, you can tweet. Uh, me at Fraser Chonji. Yeah, you can tweet at me, Louis
1: Adiru. Rue. It's not a very catchy handle. Louis yeah. A.D. But I'll also be active on the Facebook page, so if you want to reach out over there,
0: feel free. Yeah, and we would love to get into uh, touch with, um, you know, the people listening. Yeah, we hope there are people listening. We might be... I listen
1: to this podcast. Okay, but other people. All right. Because we might just be talking to ourselves to me to we might just be talking to you oh wow is this is this my psychosis this is your endless night dun, dun. <laughs> okay guys see you in a couple of weeks time
0: and um as always you stay scary spook spook time <laughs> for today's episode provided by Vir Nocturna.
1: Vir Nocturna?
0: Vir Nocturna. Uh,
1: V-I-R Nocturna.
0: You can find them on the Apple Music Store.